of the book of Colossians. Just a kind of reminder, we're walking through a journey. Um, we're reading a verse at a time and really kind of broadening outside the scope of these verses for, the, for this week and last week to just start processing. What would this look like? So um, I don't believe that, that the uh, letter to the church at Colossae, letter to the church at Philippi, the various letters of Paul, the church at Ephesus, that was, you know, a circular letter just going all over that region. I don't believe that those letters were intended to be solely read in a single verse in a setting as the only context. And so one of the challenges that we had as we began this series was, would you just be willing one, 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 one time a week, I was going to say one day a week, but just every week to read this as a, as a letter? Because otherwise it can become a, like a disconnected thoughts. And there's a great movement that Paul's writing about. And so just kind of want to bring you back to that. Once a week, just sit down with Colossians and, and read a few chapters and just say, God, what's the big story you're telling here? Because right now we're going to kind of lock down on being baptized with Christ and what it means to be circumcised by Jesus and what are going to be some of the character qualities of that and how's that going to play out. But there's a much broader spectrum. And for instance, if you skip chapter one of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and that what we said in our Bible study this morning, that like he is the beginning in all creation, you would probably not invite him to come and circumcise your heart if you don't understand who he is and how, how amazing he is. And so um, we just encourage you to read it as a letter. And then um, as we read and study Colossians 2.12 today and verse 13 are really just some thoughts that wrap around that. Um, I, I know some of you got a little bit of a kick out of last week and, uh, and Fred. I've had a lot of, I heard a lot of commentary this week about that, and I was not even here Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but um, gotten a few emails. So much so far, they've been okay. Uh, I know that some of you are like super tickled by it and just kind of going, that was cute and funny, and thank you for sharing about Fred, and some of you were ticked off about it, and that's okay, Fred. And so I just, um, I, I think that some of you were, I, I love this particular response. I love this response. One of our students was, and his mom was talking to me this week, said, I don't understand this. Like, who is he talking about? So mom just went ahead and explained it to the student, and the student was like, well, I don't, what do you mean? And I, I thought back to our divergent thinking study. Like this idea for this student of getting locked into your way or your thought and being unavailable to God to actually shift and think and move with God doesn't even have a place in his radar. Like, that doesn't even fit. He's looking and going, I mean, I, I see, I hear what you're saying, but how does that happen? And I just said, well, just wait a few years. You know, it's coming. And, and, and I, what, but I was actually processing that conversation. And if I could, if I could sit down one on one with that student and say, Here, here's how it happens for you. I mean, here's what's happening for you since you don't know Fred and you don't recognize Fred is, is when everybody around you is sacrificing their purity and laying down their lives and their physical bodies and every single person is doing it. And you're joining in, you're just a Fred. When every single person around you is actually walking around using, as he's going to talk about in Colossians, the second chapter, language that defames God, discredits his name, and you join in, you're Fred. When every single person is walking around you and saying, look, this is what I'm going to be about. You can't understand what goes on around me, and I can't stand out for God. You're Fred. Because, by the way, most of the students I'm talking about aren't the lost ones in your school. They're the saved ones in our church. 
See, Fred isn't a lost person. Fred is a saved person. And, and the most powerful thing for you, student, who asked your mom about Fred this week, for me personally, I had the privilege of growing up in Mulberry Baptist Church where, where students prevailed for the sake of Christ. And, and literally, there was this movement among all of my peers that if you didn't love God, you were weird. Like literally, there were moments when people in our worship, I'll never forget, and I can name names of three different guys who brought bags of marijuana to the altar, laying them down and saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't walk this way anymore. I am going after Jesus because that's all you people around me are about. And I had the chance to grow up in that church where that kind of thing was happening in a student ministry, not in a church of Fred's. And I had a chance to move out of that when God grabbed my heart. He did the greatest thing. He put my father in the worst possible church to pastor. I am talking about my father pastored Fred First Baptist Church. It was the worst church he's ever pastored in. But here's what God did for me, and I believe God loves me this much. He allowed my father to pastor there for five years so that I could be in the middle of a college ministry of students who were radical for the things of God, in the middle of this messed up, broken, personally self-centered group of adults. Literally, I just still think I was old enough to understand this. Literally, they had no heart for the gospel as adults, and yet there's this enclave of students many of whom are literally scattered all over the world. And, and student, if you don't understand who Fred is, there is something powerful when you look at one another, the 50 or 60 of you, look at one another in this church and say, here's what we're going to look like. We're going to look like a group of radical, passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And not one student said, yeah, I'm with you on that. And, and I think the greatest thing that if you asked your mom, I don't get this. It would really be, look, I don't get when our youth group isn't living with utter, complete abandon for the things of God. I don't get when we look around at at, at my friends compromising and we're under the same roof. And I don't get why I don't look at them and say, hey, what's up with that? I don't, I don't get how I look around at my friends and they are, they are, they are giving away what they should only give to their life. Get that. So, I just was processing that and thinking, that's that's what Fred would look like in the student world. I, I I think we should fear Fred in the adult world as well. We really should, you know. Just, I mean, if if, if I'm going to read scripture in a minute, if we've been baptized with Christ, and this is all on the chapter two, verse eleven, where He is circumcising our hearts. If 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 we're going to ask Him to flower things in our hearts that are for life. There is no way to sit in this room and not anticipate utter and complete transformation. I mean, there's no way that we're sitting in this room and going, you know what, this is the thing that bothers me. If you didn't catch this last week, I want this to settle into our soul. I mean, this thing, we, you can't say, follower of Jesus, that's just me. This is just the way that I am. When the scripture says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that your life is given as a sacrifice to God, and as you give your life as a sacrifice to God, He will conform you into the image of Jesus Christ, transforming everything you're about. And oh, by the way, He'll do that. Here's a fresh thought. By renewing your mind, 
You will think different ways. You will think new ways. You will be utterly and completely in the midst of the creativity of God, which, by the way, I was in Bible study this morning, and the thing that struck me about our God is that He was before all things. In Him, all things were creative, and our God is an utterly creative God. And so I'm just sitting there going, look, we, our minds will be renewed day in and day out. We'll be conformed to the image of God. And then it goes on to say, oh, by the way, in the middle of that conforming, you'll suffer. You'll suffer for the sake of Christ. Just keep reading that. You'll joyfully go into the middle of the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and so for those of us who've had friends and you just, you literally, because I know every one of us, we're a hundred percenter if you're above 25. You have literally said this about a family member, friend. Oh, that's just how they are. Right? Can anybody agree with me on that? We've just said it. Look, if you said that about yourself or your friend, just understand that's antithetical to everything in Scripture. And I just wonder, I wonder, as I said last week, like when that's going on in a church and we're just sitting around going, that's just the way they are. It's just what happens. It's the way we roll around here. Like maybe better yet. Where are the fasting and prayer meetings? Where are the Matthew 18 interventions? If you want God to move in spirit and power and Him to circumcise our hearts, we would probably start looking at each other and saying, look, I love you way too much to allow you to say what you're saying right now. Here, I love you way too much to listen to you talk about Him who's my brother in Christ and your brother in Christ. How in the world can you justify that? I love you too much to let this go on. You know, I love you too much for you to say you can't take that plunge because look, I think God's risking you. He's calling you to risk. Go for this. I mean, it's just, we should be sitting in this room looking at one another and not going, oh, that's just the way he is. No, we should be looking at each other going, if God has given his son who has sacrificed himself so that he could take up residence in us, this is all Colossians 1 and 2 now, and so he could be our hope of glory so that we could, out of Colossians 1.28, so that we could manifest him to the world so that we could present every person around us as perfect in Jesus Christ so that we could walk in that way, not getting caught up in our own sin because we couldn't possibly do that because we have been buried with Jesus Christ and raised a new life in him because that has happened. He is circumcised in our hearts and he is turning us fully toward the things of his i mean if that's going on around here can you picture a church that says ah it's just the way he is i, I don't look i don't re i'm just super simple-minded i am not by any stretch of the imagination the greatest brain on this planet in fact i'm a low percentile but i read the scripture and i am simple i read it and i don't see that as a possibility yet I see a church, not necessarily saying here, just embrace it in your own mindset. I just see the church of Jesus Christ so often saying, this is just the way we are. And I don't see that as a possibility in the kingdom world. I I don't even see it as fitting anywhere in New Testament. I can't read the book of Acts and see that belonging anywhere. I mean, how do you, how could you possibly read Colossians 2? Let's start with verse 11. In Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of your flesh or your sinful nature. You set that aside. You didn't do that with a circumcision done by the hands of men. You did that with a circumcision done by Jesus Christ himself. Praise God. You know, that's so awesome. And then and then, then he goes on and says, and this is where our students were studying this morning. This is a symbol of faith. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. And this isn't solely physical baptism, you know, like when we get in water, which we're doing next weekend. That's not, that's not solely the picture. This is a spiritual picture. You have gone to the grave with Christ. 
for, so all of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen to this. You went to the grave with Christ. Oh yeah, but there's a part B to this. And you were raised with Christ through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Seriously? I mean, that, that, that verse just simply cascades in my heart. And so I, if, if I'm reading that verse, I'm going to sit in the middle of a room and individually and corporately saying, not just fear, Fred, because my word fear is kind of having all of that, be a little bit um, dissatisfied with that, be abhorrent of that, don't settle for that. But I'm going to look and say, look, not just don't fear, Fred, let's run in the opposite direction together. Let's live as a group of people who are being circumcised in heart by Jesus Christ, done with his own hands, as his hands melt their way into our heart and begin to peel back that which doesn't bring life. Because after all, for heaven's sake, you've been buried with him in his death. After all, for heaven's sake, you've been resurrected into his life. After all, for heaven's sake, because you've been resurrected into his life, live with the power of the resurrection flowing through you. So therefore, Fred has no spot in this room. It just it doesn't belong here. And so here's the thing that I would say to us as a church is we've got to be able to then to start to say if that's true, if that's true, and, and there is no if, I'm just going to do that for the sake of communication. If that's true, then what would happen here? You know, what would happen as we really shared life together? I mean, what would happen as we honestly began to communicate with one another? I think there would be far less broken relationships. There would be far less focus on the nations. There would be far less personal purchasing of mess that we don't need. There will be far more selling of possessions. There will be far more value for the scripture. There will be far more immersion of the word of Christ dwelling among us richly. There will be far more trips with people all over the world. There will be far less hunger in this city. There will be far less homeless in this city. There would be no one needing to be met at the airport from the Central African Republic flying in tomorrow because we would be meeting. There would be, there would just be, there would be no one who is of Arabic in their, in their, in their birthright, but who has moved to this nation, who was trying to figure out English, there would be never a moment when Kim Carr said, I need someone, because the church is moving there. I mean, there would just be all this God activity going on, and we would be looking at each other, and I literally have chill bumps, you should look around the room, because you would look at the faces, and you would know the Spirit of God infuses this place, and He is present, He is prescient, and He is powerful, and He's moving hearts. He's transforming lives. I love this. Then the question would become legit. Who is Fred? Mom, I don't get that. We would all go, yeah, we don't. Because it doesn't make sense when you grow up in Mulberry Baptist Church. You know? It doesn't make sense when you you hang out with a whole slew of people who are radical for the things of God. So I just wrote down some things. um, Just what would be some markers and you know, I'll, I'll take about 5% credit of this, and I like to read good writers. So I was reading John Ortberg, and he had some thoughts about this as well. What would be some things that would mark us? And, I, and I'll go as far as I can go today, and then I'll share a few others. But what would mark us if we were baptized in Jesus and resurrected to new life? I mean, how would you know? What would, what would happen here? I mean, what would be going on that we would just say, wow, God, you, you are in the middle of a Christ-centered church. You are in the middle of a church that's been buried with you. You're in the middle of a church that's been resurrected with you. God, this is, this is your movement and it's beautiful. 
and we love you. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, Jesus wrote, I, I talked about this two weeks ago, he wrote the woe is me chapter, like, you, you guys are absolutely, you stink. And I love the first one he said. He says, uh, well, it's not in, in, a, in an order, but he says, woe to you, for you clean the outside of the cup, and yet you leave the inside absolutely blatantly soiled. And I think in a fellowship, and these are this is just in your notes, so you can you know follow along in your notes. In, in a fellowship that's actually experiencing the resurrected Jesus among us, that's, that's that's seeing transformation, there will be an authenticity about us that is unbelievable. You know, when people walk in, there will be there would just be a sense of this is who we are. We're so comfortable in our skin because our skin is covered in Christ. We're so comfortable where we are. We're so passionate about who God is. There will be a spiritual authenticity about us. I love Francis Chan when he writes in Crazy Love, when you literally are reading the New Testament, and I've shared this early on in my series called Ordinary, when you are reading the New Testament, you would be flipping through the book of Acts and say, oh yeah, this Mandarin church, you could, you could find us in here. Like we, what, the actions and activity that are going on here, it's so authentic, it's so real, it's so powerful, it's, there's so much vulnerability, there's so much honesty, there's so much transformation, you, we, we belong here, you know? I mean, we fit in this page, we fit in the movement and activity of God, we fit in what He has going on, and God, your, your, your resurrection power, it is literally moving and breathing through us. I mean, I think the, I think the, the greatest danger that we risk is that we don't do this Philippians 2 part. I love Philippians 2, 12 and 13 when I'm talking about, about authenticity. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in, in my presence, but even more in my absence. And he says in this, and this is, this is where we, we bore down and say, God, allow this to be an authentic place where we literally, this would be powerful, where we are working out our salvation together. Where fear, there is fear and trembling here. That we understand that we hold something powerful among us. And that how we hold and handle that will be powerful or lacking thereof among those outside of us. And so we are in the middle of this working out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is Christ who works in us to live and to act according to His good purpose. For His pleasure. Can you imagine an authentic place where we didn't roll in here, you know, throwing on whatever wardrobe you prefer to throw on. I don't care what you wear, but you just roll in here and you're not going, hey, how are you? So good. So good to see you. I'm glad too. I'm so faking this smile. My husband and I almost killed each other on the way over here, but we're here. Our children are in utter rebellion, but the Lord, oh, bless you too. Blessings. God, oh, he's so good. You know, what would be so awesome is to look and say, my life is falling apart, but I know it's safe. I, my, I am really walking through the valley right now, and we're probably not going to go to that level with every single person in the room, but I'm just wondering who is who shares relationships with you in such a way that we don't just sing and dance, you know, hallelujah, and then walk out. We actually have looked at somebody who we are walking through life with and there is such a level of authenticity that we're going, I know that where I'm at is just not cutting it, but I am praying that God will circumcise my heart in such a way that I'll be a reflection of the baptism of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I really just need to, I just, I, I don't need to get to church to put on a front. I need to get here to be in the midst of a hospital to heal my heart and send me back out. 
I'm going to work this out, Lord. But we're going to do this together. And we're going to share life together. And it's just just going to be authentic and real. And there's not much fake stuff going on around here. I love Jesus because he, He messed with people. I love that in the first century, when Jesus was speaking into this, vast amounts of the rabbinic code. And if you will just read over, I'm sorry I'm not holding my Bible right now, but what he's talking about, he illustrates, and it is the church today, and it was the church that day. You know, why are you worried about new moon festivals, what you're eating, what you're drinking? Why are you worried about all this facade stuff? Why are you worrying about what you're outside of the cup lays when in the reality is you stink and are soiled inside and nobody wants to drink from your fountain? You sing about fountains today, but nobody wants to sip out of your cup. That cup is filled with rotten. And Jesus stepped in. I mean, in his little moments, he's not happy Jesus. I know we like happy Jesus. This is not happy Jesus. Jesus walks in and says, look, you are focused on dietary laws, circumcision, by the way. That's, that was their big deal. You're focused on circumcision, dietary laws, and Sabbath keeping. There is not a devout rabbi on the planet that would have said, that's our priority. They just made it their priority. No devout rabbi. They would have said to you, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. They would have told you with their lips what the priority of their life should be, but their actions demonstrated anything but. Hear, O Israel, the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord He is one. Love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength. Tie this love around. And oh, by the way, when you're tying it, try not to choke them with your dietary laws and your outward boundary markers and your total pride and arrogance. How about this? Let's be humble and broken and penitent and authentic and real. Jesus has stepped in and said, I mean, I love Jesus when he steps in and starts talking to them. He says, look, I am not just going to threaten what you're teaching. I am going to threaten your very understanding of the faith life that you are presenting. Because you're presenting a yoke around their necks they can't possibly carry. And it is not what I am about. And I wonder, I wonder when Jesus said, oh, by the way, the Shema is true today, that you love God with your heart and soul. I believe that a community that is authentic will be a community defined by love. And love is safe. Love is a place that says you can come in here at any point in life and we will meet you where you are. We will not leave you there because that would be Fred-like. We will just walk with you to the transforming work that Jesus fully intends for you. I just think there would be an incredible authenticity here. I believe there would be a humility that marks us. And I, I, um, I'll kind of maybe, I may pause with this one or the next one. We'll see. But I, I love, I just think of so many scriptures. God opposes the proud. Listen, he gives grace to the humble. This authenticity and humility runs together. What, look, the Old Testament says, so if you're wondering what God desires, here it is. A humble and contrite heart. I love Corinthians when it says, oh, by the way, if you're wondering who God uses, he uses the broken and misfit toys. The most surprising. The most humble. He, he brings him up to the most beautiful. 
we already said this verse, but Jesus didn't come as an act of aggression. He came as an act of humility to serve, not be served. And here's why. Because in humility, there would be a myriad, a multitude ransomed. We're, we're invited in, by the way, into that ministry of ransoming or reconciliation. But it happens among a group of people who are humble, who are saying, God, move among us in spirit and power. I love Philippians 2, 1 through 14. Can we just do scripture for a little while? If there is any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of vain conceit or, or emptiness, but I'm blanking on that. Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition. Here it is. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of us in this room, when we're humble, will not look to our own interests, but we will look to the interest of others. Do you want to know what a biblical community looks like, one that has no friends in it? That we're not sitting around talking about our agenda. We're not sitting around about talking about our comfort. And in fact, you don't even care about your comfort. You're sitting around and asking, how do I serve these people? How do I serve these people? How do I give my life away? How do I sacrifice and lay down my life? How do I stop talking about myself? Please do. How do I start talking about serving others? Because look, as my interests kick in, I don't even think about myself. Because all I care about is the interest of others. Because that seems to be, verse 5, in my opinion, and it's a limited opinion, it seems to be the most powerful verse in Scripture. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. If you want to be in a humble place, look, look. He just says, so as you all just pour your lives out for one another, your attitude will be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude in this room will be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude will be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Are you kidding me? Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human being found in human likeness and appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And if you want to find out how to be exalted in eternity, he was therefore exalted out of his death, his giving himself away, his lack of awareness of himself, and completely shedding blood for men. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every one of us in this room, every creation for eternity will bow and we will confess the goodness and the greatness and the wonder and the dominion and the power of Christ. Oh, by the way, before you clap, your attitude should be that. That's where your attitude is. My attitude is the same as that of Christ Jesus. So who's Fred? I don't even know this guy. Seriously? How could he exist in the context of a biblically centered, baptized in Christ, circumcised heart, resurrected to new life fellowship? I don't even know how he could walk you're just loaded with our attitudes. Going, we're, just, we're just trying to be like Jesus. We're just giving ourselves away. Our interests are not on ourselves. I, I just looked. I, I love this. I just um, thought it. I mean, what would this look like? I just, I don't know if this will work for you. And, and I'll end with this story. But Jesus, 
condescended to step into manhood. I mean, you, you did read Colossians this morning in your Bible study. Like, He was the creative force behind everything that was made, and He condescended to walk with us. You know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And by the way, as you flesh that out, you behold grace and truth in seeing Him. I mean, He condescended to walk with us. And then, I love this, you should feel so good right now. Because in his condescension, then he, then he called out the most shocking. The fishermen, the tax collectors, the broken, the authentic. I, there was a, an experience in God two weeks ago, a sentence that absolutely has wrecked me and is changing my thinking. When Jesus stepped in and said, come follow me and I will make you to become. And, and Henry Blackaby says, I know the rest of that sentence says fishers of men, but I'm stopping there and putting dot, dot, dot. If you come and follow me, I will make you to become. And here's what, here's what Blackaby said. Never underestimate what God can do through you. I have chill bumps. I don't know if you, how you feel about that. Come follow me. And I will, Lord. I mean, he condescended to call, he condescended to call you. Kind of sent it in his day to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. I just see that and I, I just am so thankful. And he, I mean, he condescended to give himself away and display and manifest God himself on this earth. He condescended to wear a crown of thorns. He condescended to take 39 lashes, one away from death. He condescended to the cross. He condescended to cry out to our Father, how can you forsake or walk away from me in this moment? To bear the sins of the world. He condescended to the grave and he ascended to resurrection. And all of that, he says, oh, by the way, you come in. And I'm inviting you to condescend to serve others. And I love this. I'm inviting you to condescend to serve. I'm inviting you to condescend to give your intentions away for the better intentions of others. I'm inviting you to condescend and give your life away in this city. I'm, a kind, I'm inviting you to condescend under your roof and your household and serve your family as unto the Lord. I'm inviting you to condescend to your peers around you and display for them Christ. I'm inviting you to condescend and lay down what you think is your rights because you don't have any to carry the only right and banner that counts for eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm inviting you to condescend and do all this, and one day, one day, you'll be raised up. But as long as you walk on this planet, condescend and give your life away. And I would almost bet you, according to Scripture, that even in your raising up, you will take your, cor- your thr- crown and you will bow down. Because even in your raising up, you just simply raise up to say, Jesus, there is none other to raise up my life to. Jesus, there is none other to give my life away to. I see this picture in a family in our room right now. I think the husband's in the room. Um, I love I love Todd and Penny Turner. I love Todd Turner when when he took his Bible study. This is what it looks like in real life, so it's not some theological, theoretical thing happening. It looks like a couple who says in their Bible study, we think, along with Brendan Mitch, we, we think we should go pick up a family in an airport who are flying in, and we'll condescend to do that. We think we will keep serving that family. And we'll keep serving that family. And we think that in serving that family, we start to go to another apartment complex and read to many other families. And we think we start to catch a heart for the world that we've, we've maybe not had. I don't know them well enough. Maybe it's been there the whole time. But we're catching a picture of God to the nations. I love Todd Turner every Wednesday night condescending to go over and work at the ILC to serve men. 
I love the story they put online, and they don't know I'm telling this story. I don't even know if Todd's in the room. I haven't seen him. He's not. He's here. I love Todd, the story they all put online. Oh, he's actually condescending to serve. I love, uh, I love when he said, our kids, our kids are playing. You know what they're doing? They're playing school. And they're teaching people who don't speak English to speak. Generational condensation. Is that the word? Condescension. I love, Todd, that your wife is right now in another country. And I'm just wondering what that will look like among us. When we don't just... When we don't just fear Fred, we just don't even know who he is. We're like that beautiful student who looked and said, I don't understand. How could that be in a New Testament community whose whose supreme desire is Jesus Christ? Who actually hold Him in their jars of clay so that they can manifest Him to the world, you know? How could that be? Who have been circumcised and are being circumcised day in and day out every time something that strips away the life of Christ kind of covers over their heart and it's being cut away. How could that be? A group of people who have been buried with Jesus and who are resurrected and, 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 and in that resurrection they are forgiven and they are whole and they are complete and they are purposed. How could that be? We're filled with the power and the presence of God. So, uh, because that's true, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He was a servant. Father, I pray that you will do the same in us. That we will be defined by humility, authenticity. God, it is absolutely fear-invoking to be authentic. And I pray that you will start to scrub cups from the inside out. God, I pray that we would lay down as a church... <laughs> 